You're listening to the Body Literacy Podcast, your connection to the art and science of feeling really good body, mind, and spirit. I'm your host and holistic health coach, Jen Mayo. If you've never experienced truth and freedom inside your body, an amazing adventure is about to begin. Healing happens in community. Body literacy is your tribe. Join me in discovering the keys to fearlessly unlocking your body's innate intelligence and resilience. Turn on to the wisdom of your body as we connect your wellness dots by exploring whole person healing from neuroscience and nutrition to sexual health and sleep. Join the wellness revolution and start speaking your body's language. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to the most profound and impactful piece of health technology I've encountered in three decades of navigating my own health challenges. LifeWave is a wearable health technology that uses your own light energy to optimize your health. If you've followed the Body Literacy Podcast for any period of time, you likely already know that I'm a bit of a walking science experiment. I have a passion for exploring how time-honored ancient healing arts can be coupled with modern science and technology to optimize our health, wellness, and vitality, and how we can empower ourselves with the knowledge and optimization of our own onboard wisdom and healing potential rather than viewing the human body as a problem to be solved. LifeWave's phototherapy patches use light to stimulate the body's natural healing systems. By applying LifeWave's non-transdermal patches to specific points on the body similar to acupressure, where the patch covers the skin, infrared light emitted from the body is reflected back into the tissue, stimulating specific regions of the brain and tapping into the body's own flow of energy and the ability to heal itself. LifeWave patches are not intended to treat any specific condition or disease, but rather support the body's own innate healing mechanisms. When we take a holistic approach to health and consider there is really only one state of dis-ease in the body imbalance, rather than the 32,000 diseases defined by conventional medicine, rebalancing the body and supporting our own built-in capacity to heal becomes a journey of ease rather than a frustrating and disempowering struggle to control dis-ease. Energy medicine operates by a different set of rules than material medicine. I talk about experience-based medicine a lot, and LifeWave is simply a therapy you have to take for a test drive to feel the benefits for yourself. To learn more or try them out, just visit genmayo.com slash LifeWave. On this episode of the Body Literacy Podcast, I'm chatting with Lauren Geertsen, author of The Invisible Corset. Lauren is a body connection coach who has helped millions of people heal their relationship with food and body image. Her health website, EmpoweredSustenance.com, has reached over 40 million readers, and she's written two number one Amazon bestselling ebooks. Her new book, The Invisible Corset, Break Free of Beauty Culture and Embrace Your Radiant Self is on shelves now. It's been endorsed by leading doctors, body image therapists, and eating disorder specialists. As a body connection coach, Lauren works with clients around the world to permanently solve their lifelong food and weight problems in her Food Without Fear program. I am excited and honored to have Lauren on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you so much, Jen. It's great to be here and chatting with you. Definitely. So, Before we get into the book too much, Lauren, um, can you give me a little bit of a background on how you came to be what you call a body connection coach? Definitely. So my journey started when I was 18. I was at that point basically bedridden with an autoimmune disease and I had to drop out of college and it was really intense. Um, And I had been struggling with this disease called ulcerative colitis ever since I was 14. Mm -hmm. 
And I did, you know, everything the doctors told me. I took medication after medication and more medications for the side effects. And surprisingly enough, I got sicker because that's what happens when you just treat the symptoms. So when I was 18, I found this book uh, called The Specific Carbohydrate Diet. Uh And it's similar to the GATS diet. So basically it outlines the healing protocol um, through diet for similar autoimmune issues. Right. Within three days, I was better. Three days. Wow. Three days. I mean, my acute symptoms were gone within three months. I was off all my medications. Wow. It was this tremendous paradigm shift in my life because before that, my doctors had said a few things, but nutrition won't help, first of all. And secondly, your body is trying to kill you. Like that's the definition of autoimmunity. Right. And it definitely fits into the narrative we get, especially as women around other aspects of our body relationship where our body is against us. We have to fight to survive. Right. So when I tried that dietary protocol, I did it because a voice inside me said, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. I chose to trust that intuition. And I realized all along, oh, my body's on my side. Right. I just have to listen to her. She knows how to heal me. So uh, from there, I trained as a nutritional therapy practitioner. I started my health blog, Empowered Sustenance. So I was helping a lot of other people heal through nutrition. And I realized that for their journey and my own journey, there comes a point where we have to get deeper in touch with that intuitive voice within us. Right. You're nodding. I know you know this journey. I do. (laughs) You know, so we have to go beyond the rule book at some point um, and listen to our body in terms of life choices, relationships, big decisions. Um, And that's where I found women were being held back by what I call the invisible corset. Okay. Um, The set of beliefs that keep us as disconnected um, and uncomfortable in our bodies as traditional corsets once did. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, from there you asked, how did I become a body connection coach? I, that's a system that I created basically to help women get out of the invisible corset, reconnect with our intuition. Cause I wasn't finding any other paradigm that included all of these spiritual subconscious mind body modalities, um, that were so helpful to me that I wanted to give to other women on their journey. Okay. Okay. And as you mentioned, the book is called The Invisible Corset. Um, And I've put my own certain amount of energy into finding the invisible bra, but um, that's something (laughs) different than what you're talking about with the invisible corset, right? (laughs) Right. So, and you talk about these five strings, I believe, that make up the corset. Can you kind of outline what those are for us? Definitely. Definitely. So the uh, five strings are these unquestioned invisible beliefs mm-hmm. that are responsible for basically cutting us off from that inner wisdom of our body. Okay. So the first string is fear. This is how women, especially by the diet and the beauty industries, we are taught to fear the natural expression of our bodies, mm-hmm. right? So, so many women are afraid of our aging process, afraid of, of wrinkles, afraid of our body size, afraid of our skin, um, this is not how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. This is uh, brainwashing from these certain industries because when one is afraid, one can be controlled. Right. Right. We're seeing this in major ways in the world right now. Yeah. (laughs) The more paranoia and fear one has of the natural state of the body, the more they're going to look to external industries for a savior. Right. So that's the big first string is uh, fear. Women don't have a hate problem with our bodies. We have a fear problem. The root of all hate is fear. Yeah. That's that's an interesting distinction. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at where else in the world when we say, oh, we have an issue with hate, if it's, um, if it's racism, if it's political divisiveness, it's not that you hate the other person, it's that you're afraid of them. Something right. in society has taught you to be afraid so you don't go closer, you don't listen. I love that. Same with our bodies. I love that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's the first one. We have four more. Uh, the second is domination. Okay. And this is how we've been taught uh, through basically the span of history to see our bodies as objects mm-hmm. um, that we own. Okay. Rather than wise beings who we can trust. Right. Right. And so that's a beautiful spiritual paradigm shift that we need to make. And in the book, I go into the history of this. Basically, when we were in pre-agriculture, goddess societies, goddess worshiping societies across the globe, there was much more of a sense of partnership with nature. And that led to a sense of partnership with our bodies. Mm -hmm. And we've gradually lost that. And, um, this chapter in the book describes in more detail, you know, how we can reclaim that, that lineage and that relationship with ourselves. Okay. And I think there's so much we can learn just from looking at uh, anthropology and a broader history of, of the earth and the people of it um, that maybe mainstream versions of what we hear in history don't really teach us. It's so true. So something that I, you know, I talk to my clients about this and I, I, include it in the book is when we don't know history, it's said that we're doomed to repeat it. That's Mm -hmm. true. But also if we don't know history, we don't have the opportunity to repeat it sometimes. Right. And this is what I go into in the third string, the chapter called disconnection. Okay. And this is how historically uh, in indigenous cultures, human beings were tuned into the kind of energy internet, this, um, energetic communication that was happening between all bodies and all of earth uh, and, and all of nature, animals, plants, that's the history that we've been cut off from. And we can return to that sense of abundance and um, just wordless communication. And I love that you use the term energy internet there. Um, I wish I could take credit for that. That's Martha Beck. Okay. All right. Well, kudos to Martha. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think because there's kind of this concept that we've developed all this technology where our computers uh, and our phones and, and whatever can all communicate with each other now, but we think that for some reason, the human body and mind haven't been intelligent enough to do this themselves over the course of time. Right. You know, it's like, we think we're making so much progress, but actually these are introducing toxic electromagnetic frequencies to replace something we used to be able to do naturally. I talk in the book, how there are tribes in Africa who to this day, um, communicate telepathically with the party who goes off hunting. Um, and the hunting party is able to track animals because they literally, some individuals can see the energy lines that animals leave as they walk. Wow. Like we now have cell phones and heat sensing devices to replace what we used to be able to do naturally. Okay. All right. It's almost like a compensation mechanism that we've developed the technology. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So the fourth string is mechanization. Uh, This is how basically Western science has taught us to see the body as a machine and therefore have some really inaccurate expectations of how our body should act and behave. Okay. And again, I give quite a big sweeping historical perspective in this chapter because we have to understand how 
in indigenous cultures, we saw the earth as a living being. Right. And then gradually through uh, the paradigm of Western science and Descartes, the separation of mind and body, and then throwing out the spiritual aspect from the human body completely. Right. You know, now we have this reductionistic, materialistic scientific paradigm that is supposed to be um, reality. So there's no spiritual component to the human body. What's interesting is that as science progresses, we're realizing this is a really outdated, myopic, inaccurate perspective. Mm-hmm. But it's a dogma. So it's kind of, it, we're meeting some resistance to move this paradigm out of the way. Right. And when you say spiritual, um, just for kind of clarification, because mm-hmm. I think some people confuse that with religion, and those are really two very different concepts. Such a great point. Yeah. Yes. So spiritual is what um, I mean by this uh, divine kind of guidance that is programmed into nature. It's programmed into the human body. Um, And people can do with that what they want to. I think the beautiful thing about this book is I've had people who are very religious. They resonate with it. People who have left religion, religious paradigms they resonate with it deeply because um, I think no matter what you believe, a lot of people have that understanding of there is something bigger at play here. There's a wisdom that we can tap into that gives us guidance on how to be our healthiest, um, happiest selves. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the last string is coercion. Okay. Uh, And this is all about the brainwashing, the cultural brainwashing that's at play. Um, that makes women act in the best interest of the beauty industry rather than our own best interest. Okay. And the really sneaky thing here is it's this manipulation is so well done that women really don't understand how controlled we are. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting Botox for myself because it makes me feel good mm-hmm. or, you know, breast implants or I'm chronically dieting or all these things that, objectively are harmful to mm-hmm. the body. They don't help our health. They, they, it's literally buying our confidence back from the industry that stole it from us in the first place. That's the opposite of empowerment. That's an abusive relationship, right? But right. we say, oh, I'm doing it for me because that is how twisted our minds have become due to the very insidious messaging and marketing from the beauty and diet industries. Okay. Okay. And just to clarify, so I know you talk about a lot about it in the book, but you're not against women having a beauty routine, but you mm-hmm. do make the distinction between self-expression and self-repression. Can you expand on that a little bit? Definitely. I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up because, yeah. um, yes, the key here is, you know, a lot of beauty products are inherently neutral forces and they can be used as an expression of our feminine energy. Feminine energy archetypally likes to attract, adorn, um, kind of uh, just self-celebrate in that way mm-hmm. and be in the sensuality of the beauty processes. Now, the problem is when we don't know who we truly are and we don't recognize the mind control of these industries, mm-hmm. then we aren't capable of self-expressing, right. right? When you don't know who you are, you can't express yourself. And so mm-hmm. that's what the second half of the book is all about is these practices to deprogram basically the brainwashing, but also get in touch with what your soul core true self wants to express itself as. 
Right. So for me, when I went through the process of taking off my invisible corset, I used to be the the girl in college who would wake up half an hour before my college roommate do a full face of makeup because <laughs> I was so ashamed and embarrassed yeah. to be seen without makeup. You know, right. and I had my hair long, I styled it every day. Um, I wore underwire bras and, and uncomfortable pants, not because it felt good to me, mm-hmm. but because I was doing it from a, a sense of shame and inadequacy. So from like an external perspective instead of for yourself. Exactly. Right. So when I did the work, you know, I cut my hair, I don't wear makeup as much. I change my clothing style. Everything feels better to me. It feels more true to me. Yeah. But I've had other friends who go through this process. They are, they have so much feminine energy and they just, you know, they do very um, elaborate makeup routines every day. They love, um, you know, they, they love their lingerie, which I find terribly uncomfortable, but you know, it's just, it really comes down to that. And I look at women like Dita Von Teese or Dolly Parton, oh, they yes. are very much their true selves, right? Yeah, but right. they also use all those tools of beauty culture. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. So great. Um, can you maybe discuss a little bit the role of like body unacceptance in activating the fight or flight response? And why does that matter for physical and mental health? Mm-hmm. So um, fight or flight, we, we have two states of our nervous system just for people who, who need a reminder or an sure. overview. Fight or flight is what's called the sympathetic state mm-hmm. of the nervous system. Okay. And then rest or digest is also called the parasympathetic state. Sure. Now we have to be in parasympathetic in order to heal, to regenerate, to activate long-term immune response, um, and also to get in touch with our intuition. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. Our gut um, feelings and emotions, they actually travel up to the brain to be interpreted through the vagus nerve, which is activated specifically in the parasympathetic state. Okay. So there's a lot of really wonderful, important things that happen when we can get into that parasympathetic state. Now, the problem is a lot of people are in chronic sympathetic activation, stuck in that fight or flight trauma state. Sure. Um, and w- the interesting thing is that our subconscious and our conscious mind has the biggest influence about what state of the nervous system we're in, mm-hmm. because that is ultimately what's establishing our reality. Right? right. When a poster falls down in the middle of the night, it's not really a threat, but our sympathetic state kicks in just like that because it's interpreting it as a threat. Right. And so when we have a, when we're coming from a place of seeing our body as an enemy, mm-hmm. as a perpetual self-improvement project, or as the force um, that is holding us back from our dream life, because we feel like it's too big, wrong mm-hmm. size, you know, yeah. not yeah. good enough we are chronically activating the sense of I'm not safe in my body, putting us into that chronic sympathetic state, Mm -hmm. um, cutting ourselves off from our intuition and healing processes. uh, So, you know, that it just really perpetuates the state of I'm not safe in my body. So it really comes down to that feeling of safety. Exactly. Exactly. And so a lot of the practices in the book are about how can you reestablish that sense of safety with your body and, um, you know, being at home in your body. Yeah. So that was actually the working title of the book before it was the invisible course that it was home in your body, because that's where healing starts. That's where we can really embrace ourselves and our sole purpose in life. I love that. I love that. I like, I like the title you picked, but mm-hmm. that concept really does ring, ring true. So, mm-hmm. okay, great. 
Um, so you also, you, you have talked about like the, the earth as having traditionally been referred to as a she specifically, or mother possessing like this feminine energy, but you point out in the book that she's, um, basically been turned into an it as a means mm-hmm. to objectify and exploit her. So how is our treatment of the earth in this way relevant to cult to this cultural conversation on women's bodies and beauty standards? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the objectification of women's bodies, what I think it really gets down to is we see women's bodies as machines, as Mm -hmm. objects, um, in order to justify the exploitation. Um, So this arose in, you know, early patriarchal cultures. But the interesting thing is it's a common thread whenever we want to justify the exploitation or the othering Mm -hmm. of any other being, any other person. So like black people were turned into objects um, through the English language to justify slavery. Um, There's some interesting anthropological research and texts on that. Um, same with how the German propaganda made Jews into objects. If you're less than human, it justifies the means of exploiting right. that being. Right. Okay. So, you know, even women ourselves are so immersed in this that we, we self-objectify our bodies. Mm-hmm. We see our bodies not as our spiritual soulmates, our first and most enduring soulmates in our life. We see our bodies as machines and objects in order to justify what we do to them in the name of the beauty standard. Right. I Um, love that. The the body is a soulmate. That so Mm -hmm. resonates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the beginning quote of the book is from this incredible mystic, John O'Donohue. And he says, may you know your body as a wise and beautiful friend of your soul. I love that. And I just wish that for every woman. I mean, that's been the most beautiful change that has happened in my life. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love that. Good. I just wanted to take a quick minute out of today's episode to tell you about ZRT Laboratories at-home hormone testing. ZRT has 20 years of experience and is a leader in innovative, safe, and meaningful hormone and wellness testing. When produced in balance, your symphony of hormones determine optimal mental and physical health and functioning, including healthy weight management and metabolic functioning, mood, libido, fertility, energy, and sleep quality, as well as how they contribute to the creation or avoidance of chronic health conditions. To keep things functioning at their best, the body must constantly fine-tune hormone release to keep levels within proper limits. An imbalance in one system can cascade into imbalances in others, which is why the diurnal saliva cortisol test is the cornerstone of the body literacy method for understanding how stress and trauma set the stage for hormone imbalances that affect your health, wellness, and vitality. Visit the Body Literacy Shop today to purchase our ZRT Laboratory at-home cortisol saliva test and other at-home hormone test kits available to help you get to the root cause of your health and wellness challenges. Shop online at shop.bodyliteracy.me and enter the discount code PODCASH at checkout for $10 off your purchase of $100 or more. And now back to today's episode. Um, so kind of going on a little bit more with that. So in the book, you discuss how sexiness is not how you look, but really how you feel in your own body. Um, 
How is beauty culture prohibitive to women feeling sexy in their own skin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I am going to share a story from the book because I think it really sums it up and a lot of women can resonate with this. So in my early 20s, I was, I was not in a, a healthy relationship. Uh, it was my first relationship. And the guy I was with wanted me to look a certain way in order to match the beauty standard. Um, and I had internalized, it's, you know, it's my job to be desirable to this person and mm-hmm. to meet what he wants me to look like. So I remember I went on a date with him one time and I was um, wearing these high, high heels. I was wearing this dress he bought for me, which was skin tight. And I literally hadn't eaten carbs for two weeks oh my gosh. to fit in the dress. You know, <laughs> I was wearing this push-up bra. My boobs were up to my um, collarbones. I was so uncomfortable. And I was walking through the restaurant and um, I remember like heads were turning from other tables. Like I was getting the attention that dressing this way is supposed to get you. Mm-hmm. We're, we're taught that that is supposed to lead you, leave you feeling fulfilled in some way. But it felt so wrong to me because I felt like I was so not myself. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to put a big bathrobe on and run out of the restaurant. And it Um, it wasn't the attention you were getting. It was just that that was not you and you weren't exuding that energy. Exactly. Um, And so then I realized through this journey for myself, you know, women have been taught that sexual empowerment is somehow meeting the commercialized definition of sexiness, Mm -hmm. which is make your body look a certain way. And then you'll be sexy. So literally women are getting breast implants or getting um, labiaplasty, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is inherently harmful and desensitizing to our most erotic tissue in the body. Right. So right. It, it literally makes us feel less sexy. Right. But we have this idea in our head that, oh, if I look a certain way, then I'll be happier in my sex life. It's, it's so opposite. So what we really need to understand is that... Um, a woman embracing her sexuality is embracing her uh, relationship to her body. So she's focusing on what feels good to her, right? Um, focusing on expressing her true self, um, healing from these toxic societal messages of you have to look a certain way or perform a certain way in order to be sexy. Yeah. Um, because those are all, that's a, just a controlling narrative mm-hmm. um, from the beauty industry, from the pornography industry uh, to basically channel women, uh, into buying certain products and being manipulated. It's not about empowering women's sexual expression. Right. Right. Okay. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned pornography a minute ago, cause that's mm-hmm. really like my big question on how this all ties in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to ca- kind of call it what I call the pornification of sexuality. So the porn industry has done to the vast expansiveness of healthy sexual expression what I think the beauty industry has done to self-image and really even what mainstream media has done to thoughtful discourse. Um, it's kind of been put into this very restrictive box. And mm-hmm. most people, particularly girls coming of age in an era where I think porn now is really the only sex education that most people even get. Yeah. Um they're not even aware of the expansive, connected, emotionally intelligent, and genuinely pleasurable experiences available when we, shall we say, take off the corset. Um, Can you kind of expand on what the broader implications of selfie sexual expression might be if taken out of this restrictive 
cultural definition of pornography and this beauty imperative? Like, how might things be different if women gave themselves permission to more assertively define their own sexual expression outside of this limiting confines of this porn script? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And it's been interesting because I've been relatively vocal on um, the scientific literature on how pornography hurts both men and women's sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. So I'm a health researcher. That's my background. That's where I've been for the last decade. And so I look at the literature. um, And I, you know, also in my work as a a body connection coach, I do a lot of sex coaching. That's a big issue that comes up. So I'm very sex positive, but it's interesting because I can get a lot of pushback online when I just drop some facts of Okay, here's what we know from the scientific literature. Frequent porn use is really destructive in these ways to both men and women's sexual mm-hmm. expression. And I, I think that the key here is, like you said, understanding that this is, um, this is marketing. This is a commercialization. This mm-hmm. is designed, just like social media is designed, to keep you online, on the screen, keep giving you the dopamine hits so you cut, right. keep coming back for more. This is not about helping you in any way. This is about big business making big money, right? Just like beauty, uh, the beauty industry. It's about big business making big money, just like the pharmaceutical industry, right? Right. Um, and so we really have to question: uh, Who am I trusting? Does this industry at all have the best interest at, at heart for me? Um, I'm also really disturbed at, um, I mean, the rates of underage child trafficking that happens mm-hmm. on porn sites. It's like. Uh, a great quote is how um, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this, but it's basically would you would you buy clothing from a company if you know only some of their clothes were made from child labor? Right. <laughs> <laughs> would you consume porn if you knew that only some of it was made from child labor or from um, you know women who have been trafficked or um, abused or beaten? Um, so I think that's really important to consider as consumers as well. Right. And and the key here is is finding um, body reconnection outside of this narrative of sexuality needs to look a certain way um, or you have to perform a certain way in order to be sexy or deserve a a really wonderful sexual partner. So there are a couple resources that I point my clients to. One is um, uh, so a process called oming. It's called orgasmic meditation. I'm trying to remember. There's a couple books on this. Um, One is Slow Sex. And I can't remember the author's name at the moment. But I think it's it's Nicole Dadon or something like that. Yes. Yes. And I think this is just one of these beautiful practices that um, I've seen have really wonderful uh, implications for my clients in healing from sexual trauma and, you know, just reconnecting with their body. Um, and then another book from Regina Thomasauer, another great sex and relationship educator, is called Pussy. Pussy, the reclamation. That's a good one. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I, I would recommend both those books in, in this healing process. Great, great. I would, I would, I would double that and say I would think both of those are fantastic. So, mm-hmm. all right, great resources. So, um, so I, I guess one other thing I kind of picked up on in the book was this idea of uh, controlling one's body versus excuse me, versus trusting its intuition. And on a cultural level, what does control afford the status quo systems that are already in place versus fostering intuition amongst its members and especially for women? 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what's interesting is that women are so controlled by the beauty and diet industries that we internalize that and then just start controlling our body and we perpetuate this cycle mm-hmm. where there's there's no room for trusting our our intuition. There's no room for embracing our authentic self. Um, and this is you know such a key. One of the reasons I believe this book is out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the book was going to be done earlier. I, there, I truly believe there were some divine timing interventions that happened sure. because this yeah. book is about how can you see um, how societal messages and big business messages are controlling you through instilling paranoia and fear and a sense of, of busyness. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. This is happening from the pharmaceutical industry and the media right now around COVID. Right. Um, and it's definitely happening around the beauty industry and the diet industry, um, putting women into a state of paranoia about the natural state of our bodies. Right. So what is really beautiful is when we can get into a place of stillness, um, reject the real- the illusory reality that is being painted for us from mm-hmm. these industries and tune into our intuition, we get to create a more... Um, well, I love Glennon Doyle. She says a, a more truer and beautiful world. Uh-huh. I think that's her line. Okay. And that's what is the result when we can listen to our intuition and act from there. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, and just kind of builds building upon what you just said. Um, so you draw this comparison of the beauty industry to being like a, psych- a psychologically abusive relationship. And how I maybe even I dare say that mainstream medicine fits the the same. Totally. Um, that it's almost become like a cult following. Can you kind of expand on what you mean by that? Yes. Uh, so a cult is a basically it's just a high control group where they are limiting your perceptions, mm-hmm. painting an illusory reality for you um, in order to exploit uh, your either your time, your energy, your Mm -hmm. sexuality, your money. Sometimes it's all of those resources. Sometimes it's only a few of those resources. Uh, When we look at the beauty industry, that's definitely the outcome. It's not stated intention. Mm -hmm. The stated intention is, oh, hi, ladies, we're going to make you feel happy and confident and and give you your your best love and your best sex life. No, that's not what's happening because women have spent over 200,000 we spend over $200,000 in our lifetime um, wow. on average on beauty. Wow. Okay. If this approach worked, we would be elated. Right. <laughs> like, it's right. not working. <laughs> so we are being exploited though. Um, and we are perpetuating that exploitation ourselves because we have internalized these messages. Right. Um, and it's definitely uh, what's happening within the, the medical industrial complex at large as well. And I, I recently did a video on this uh, kind of the, main techniques that any forced belief system will mm-hmm. use. Uh, first, it creates existential fear. Um, so yes, we're seeing this around the COVID narrative. We see this around the beauty and the diet industry. Women have existential fear about the natural state of our bodies. Yep. Um, and of course, in cult religions, these same issues come up. Um, and it only offers one route to salvation. So there's no nuance. It's like, so in the medical narrative right now, it's, you have to get the vaccine. That's the only way you're going to save yourself and not kill grandma. And of course in the beauty industry, it's like, well, you have to lose weight and you have to get rid of your cellulite and wrinkles in order to be happy period. That's it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so very, uh, only one way to salvation. Right. Um, I'm actually blanking on the other, the other <laughs> two um, pieces that I, I put in there, but the, uh, the video, if people feel intrigued by those concepts, the video is called modern medicine is now a cult, but it's all for your safety. Right, right. Yeah. So I, <laughs> okay. I feel like that sums it up. Right. I think I had recalled you discussing kind of this obedience component um, of, of people, again, going back to the trust versus intuition thing um, and just uh, surrendering, maybe surrendering isn't even the right word, but um, to, to whatever the authoritarian model is, whether it's in Western medicine or beauty or government or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being that being the control mechanism and people succumbing to, to the obedience factor. Right, right. We are outsourcing our intuition because somebody else is claiming to have your best interest at heart. So this right. is what always happens in an abusive relationship. Uh, in my own personal experience, of course, my that was the line that my abuser had was, I have your best interest at heart. I'm the only one who knows the bigger picture. So if you want to be safe and happy, you have to listen to me. And of course, that came with the cost of I um, overrode my own internal compass. Right. This is what people are doing in mass right now when it comes to their beauty choices, their pharmaceutical choices, uh, their education, their lifestyle choices. So we are really at this consciousness shift period in the world totally. where totally. people are going to start realizing this hasn't served me. I, in fact, am the only one who has my best interest at heart. You know, nobody else can know what your best interest is. That is programmed in your heart and soul, and it's time to take radical responsibility. And uh, I think that's the shift we're seeing in the world. Definitely, definitely, I love that. I love that. So um, great. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, so I, um, I'm, I'm the mother of a 14 year old daughter, so I'm especially sensitive to this topic, but. So with regards to young girls and body image, can you kind of comment on the role you think social media is playing in perpetuating toxic beauty standards and girls' abilities to develop a a healthy sense of self? Yes, I love that you brought that up. So I think the biggest issue here um, to talk with the younger generation about is why is the theme in social media right now, all about women trying to look like other people. Okay. So that's what these new filters do. You put a filter on your, you know, your Instagram, um, story, and it makes your face change your basically It changes your jawline, your eyes shape. I mean, this is crazy what's happening. Yeah. And it they, looks so realistic that, and I, I've seen some of them that are exaggerated and make you look like a Disney character. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. But yeah. on the other hand, some are so shockingly real. Right. Influencers are using these all the time, you know, and young women consuming this media, they don't mm. know that this isn't a real human. Right. Or, you know, even a person who has fillers and they've gotten, you know, fat sucked out of their cheeks, like, mm-hmm. and they have their eyes um, pulled back. These are the, it's kind of just the body theme right now within cosmetic surgery. And right. it's, it's about making everyone look kind of the same. This is why celebrities are all slowly looking more and more like each other. Yeah. Um, and so the big question here is, you know, uh, why, why are people all trying to look the same? Why are we uh, rejecting our individuality? Mm. Um, You know, is it important to have um, visual differences between humans? Is that somehow reflective of our soul differences and our deeper differences? That's the philosophical discussion. And I think so many young women 
um, would be interested in, in having that and thinking on that. I do believe it is a sickness of the soul to want to erase the truth of your body in order to meet this um, just basically a, a, a trend, a body trend. And I think it's an analogy for how humans uh, feel this pressure to reject their authentic selves inside mm-hmm. uh, in order to meet a false self uh, who we're supposed to perform in the world. So right. I, that's if, you know, if I had a, a teen daughter, that's kind of the deeper discussion I would be having with her. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we do on a regular basis. So I, I, love, I that. love that. I love that about mm-hmm. our relationship. So, mm-hmm. well, awesome. Um, Lauren, thanks so much for joining us. And um, if our listeners would like to learn more about the book and how to find out more about uh, your body connection coaching programs, where can they find you online? Mm-hmm. So the book is at all major booksellers. It's also at the invis- uh, invisiblecorset.com. Okay. Uh, my website is empoweredsustenance.com. That's my health blog. And then if people are interested in doing some personal coaching with me or checking that out, they can go to foodwithoutfearprogram.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll include those in the show notes too, so people can connect with you. So uh, Wonderful. Great. Well, I have really enjoyed chatting with Lauren, author of The Invisible Corset, Break Free from Beauty, Culture, and Embrace Your Radiant Self. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Thank you so much, Jen. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any statements and views expressed by myself or my guests are not medical advice. The opinions of guests are their own and the Body Literacy Podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. If you have a medical problem, please consult a qualified and competent medical professional. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Body Literacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and sign up for updates over at genmayo.com.